<sighs> it's summer. It's June. The sun's shining. The trees are all green. You can wear white. And the ball still goes boom. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to It's Always Sunny in South Philadelphia for episode number 10 of season 2. I'm your host, as always, Riley Rich. And we are here today to talk about the Phillies last week. They played two divisional matchups, one against the Marlins at home in a five-game series against D.C. Now, the, that series in D.C. Uh, was a five-game series. It was originally a four-game series, but because of the lockout for that like one week, the Phillies were supposed to play two in D.C. They put one of them in this four-game series. So that's why they played five. Uh, before we get started on that, I would like to announce that uh, the day that this comes out, June 22nd, I'll be doing a stream. It'll be live at 4.05 uh, when the Phillies take on the Rangers. Uh, Zach Wheeler on the mound. It's going to be a really nice game, and hopefully they don't disappoint. But speaking of disappointment, and speaking of Rob Thompson needing to prove himself, I mean, well, he, he really hasn't disappointed. But we have to get into this Marlins series. Now, the Marlins have always been a team that the Phillies can't beat. Especially on the road, but they're thankfully at home, so they actually had a chance, and they actually took two of three. Now, usually if a team like the Marlins, I would be screaming, saying that they should have swept, but because this is the Marlins, and because the Phillies somehow can't beat the Marlins for whatever reason, I will, I guess I'll sigh and take my series win. Now, let's get right into it. Monday's game, uh, again, both, we had two wins for in the series, one on Monday, the 13th, one on Wednesday, both in walk-off fashion. Reese with the walk-off hit on Monday. Matt Vierling, who actually played third base and is trying to replace Scott Kingery. We'll get in that later. Uh, he played third base, or he stole, he stole second, which set up Reese to drive in the game when in run. Uh, they got to the Marlins bullpen. It was a pitcher's duel the whole way through. Sandy Alcantara versus Aaron Nolan. They did not disappoint at all. Once the Marlins brought in O'Kurt and Anthony Bass, that's when the Phillies could actually attack and get something done. Now, Connor Brogdon also came in the ninth, did a really nice job in the ninth, shutting it down, letting the Phillies have time to go do their thing in the bottom of the ninth. Uh, Tuesday, though, different story. Uh, the Marlins scored three in the ninth. I mean, another blown save, another blown lead in the eighth inning. Uh, Corey Knable, it's his fourth blown save of the year. And uh, now, because of that, the Phillies have a closer by committee. So, Corey Knable is no longer the closer. We can no longer refer to him as that. And so now we have a closer by committee. If you don't know what that is, it's basically a bunch of people try out to be a closer. And one of them, one of them sticks. The Phillies, are, the Phillies management is closing their eyes and throwing darts on the board and hoping, and hoping something sticks. It's a terrible philosophy to do business, but apparently this is like this is what the Phillies enjoy doing. So let's just let them do their thing, and hopefully it works. But Canable blew it, but uh, still a very offensive game. Somehow the Phillies put up nine runs while going four for twelve with runners in scoring position. I mean that was really a problem. Like I, I saw, like going through the box score, you see all of these wins, but then you see the runners in scoring position number. Or runners in scoring position. You're wondering how. Monday was 3 for 10. That's why the game was so low scoring. 4 for 12 on Tuesday. Yet they scored 9 runs. That's what happens when you have guys that can hit dingers. And also, 
bunch of runners on the ducks on the pond for Reese Hoskins, who had four for five and six RBIs. Five of those six came with two outs, and that's why the Phillies were the Phillies were able to contend for most of the game. That seems like something that I should have seen on Monday or Wednesday. But of course, their one loss is when they had the two out RBI prediction. Wednesday, again, another pitcher's duel. Kyle Gibson on the mound for the Phillies. Eight solid innings, seven hits, one run. Uh, one for the Phillies offense. I mean, it kind of stalled a little bit. One for 11 with runners in scoring position. And that one hit was the walk-off three-run homer by Garrett Stubbs. I do have to say Garrett has been one of our best players. Uh, he has, I believe, a 168 weighted runs created plus, which is a very good stat. I mean, again, it's a plus stat, and for those who haven't figured it out by now, anytime there's a plus in the stats, that means the average is 100. So Garrett Stubbs is 68% over average in that category. It really leads the question, especially with JT struggling. I feel like this is something that we're going to bring up next week about questioning whether we should platoon Real Muto and Garrett Stubbs and go with the hot hand. But he definitely proved that's. He could act, he could really be a factor on more on more than a backup amount of games, more than a backup appearance. He really shows that he can at least take a platoon role, and maybe on any other team, he could probably be a starter. Are we talking about the best backup and catcher in baseball again? Hopefully not. He hopefully it doesn't really turn out like Andrew Knapp, but we'll see. But it it does beg the question: What happened? Why are the Phillies doing so well in clutch hitting now under Rob Thompson than in Joe Girardi? Than under Joe Girardi, and I think it's again we kind of talked about it last time. Rob Thompson a bit more relaxed than Girardi. I mean, Joe kind of knew he was in the hot seat and tried to change things at the last minute. Didn't really work. Rob Thompson is a bit more secure about himself. He's basically hands off. He's more of a player's manager for now, which is exactly what we need him to be. And the players themselves, they're they're not getting too far ahead in the situation. They're not like trying to do too much. That's the perfect way to say it. Like Reese knew Reese just needed to make contact. That's what Reese needed to do. And he did. You know, it's a nice liner to left center field. It got down. Vierling scored. Phillies win the game. Garrett Stubbs just needed a ball in the gap. Just a just to get the tie and run home, and to at least think about getting the go-ahead run home, and he does a bit more than that. He gets a bit of launch angle under it, under it, and it goes out to right field, and it leaves. Then we have the series against DC, a very promising series, I will say. It's actually really surprising how bad the Nationals have been doing. Like I thought that the Marlins would run away with last place. I'm so sorry, Miami, that I keep dunking on you, but it's the truth. But it's really been the Nationals that, like, really... I hate to say, the Nationals don't really have a team that much. It's Juan Soto and Nelson Cruz trying to carry guys like Yadiel Hernandez to wins. But, one... In the Nationals series, it brought up an interesting situation because we now enter... We now have a guy named Yairo Munoz. Yairo is just like Vierling... He's a utility man. They're trying to replace Scott Kingery because they gave up on Scott Kingery. They had a lot of goal. They had a lot of hopes and dreams for Kingery. Obviously, things didn't really work out. He had a he had a, he went one for sixteen last year. He had a year-ending injury halfway through the minor league year. 
So now they bring in guys who they believe can be utility players. They got Matt Vieira. He played second and third. He played first last year. He played the outfield. He plays different parts of the outfield occasionally. He's basically played six positions. And then Yairo Munoz, of course. Not just with the Phillies. Yairo's been playing second mostly. Maybe one game a third. But over his career with the Cardinals, he also played a few games in outfield too. So it's basically trying to fu- figure out who the next Scott Canary is. But Yairo Munoz, I mean, with with a home run, I believe it was on Saturday's game. Maybe maybe Thursday's game too. But it really shows it shows that he can be a crucial part of the team. Hopefully, he can make it as a utility player. Kyle Schwarber with two home runs on Thursday. I mean, Schwarber woke up and realized that it, he was playing in D.C. in June and decided to hit diggers. I mean, that's good, right? Just like last year. That's right. Kyle Schwarber's coming for back-to-back at L Player of the Month in June. And I will hear no counter-arguments. Zach Wheeler did pitch this game, too. He, seven strong innings, one run, four hits, three strikeouts for wheels. He did absolutely amazing, and the Phillies cruised to a victory. Then he had a doubleheader on Friday, like we said. Game one was a, was really just holding on to the edge. That was a 5-3 win. Nick Castellanos with a double early on. Phillies scored the first and third. Two runs of the first, two runs of the third. Nick Castellanos actually can do something. But those early runs did propel the, the offense in the team. To a win, the bullpen really held. Brad Hand gets the save, so we'll count this now. The closer by committee is one for one. Brad Hand with the save. Also, we got to talk about Josh Bell. Because Josh Bell, I think, homered in the first four games of the series. Yeah, he was really a force to be reckoned with. It's what the Nationals needed out of him the whole time. and They really haven't got it. I mean, terrible to see Josh Bell do well. Just because he's on a rival team. Game two, I mean, we got to talk about it. It was a very, very lucky win. There was no interference on the play at all. Reese was not interfered with. They shouldn't have sent him. That was a boneheaded move by the third base coach. That's not anything that's the Nationals' fault. The game probably would have gone in D.C.'s favor if they actually made the right call on it. But I'm not here to complain. Again, an error with two outs of the ninth inning on a ground ball to short. I mean, it's it's DD, so I did hold my breath even before he made the error. Uh, Alvarado actually did really well. Like, it really wasn't his fault that his team gave up errors. He actually did get the win and closed out the game. So I'll call it I'll call, I'll call it a one and a half out of two for the closer by committee. Uh, Matty Veal, it also went. Deep twice this game, both barely out, but did his job. Kept the team, kept the team close, kept the team in it, and then they eventually got the win and went to and moved to three and zero in the series. Saturday, again, two for eight with Rogers in scoring position, not the greatest, but they still held on for the win. Nola with eight shutout innings. The Nationals somehow getting a run in the ninth again, so that's one and a half out of three. That's Brad, if you want to score it in your books, that's Brad Hand. who blew the save, so that's one for two for him over the CC era. Uh, Yairo hit a home run this game. Let's go, Yairo Munoz. Uh, and again, just the Phillies straight, the extra innings. Team, 
the team not doing too much in the situation, just doing what they need to do, getting base hits, scoring the ghost runner, and going from there. That's what led to the extra inning success in Game 2 on Friday and the game on Saturday. And then finally, Sunday was the massive collapse and the end of the five-game winning streak as uh, Eflin kind of got hit around. So with a big home run, and then Bellotti and Nelson and Knable all gave up runs, and the Phillies just couldn't keep up. Bryce is with a 2 on RBI, though. But there's really not really any good things to note from Sunday's game. So, again, like I said, coming up, they got Texas on the road, and then they got San Diego over the weekend. So it should be... So... I mean, kind of, kind of tough series against San Diego with the way that they've been played. But hopefully the Phillies can at least find a way to split. Uh, now let's go down the farm to the minor leagues. Uh, going back to normal, just going over the week. Triple uh, A, they went 2-4 and four at home against Buffalo. Everybody was at home. Uh, so Triple A was at home against the Blue Jays affiliate, who also have been really well, or doing really well this year. Uh, Rafael Marchand is back. Switching and catcher Marshawn is back. This is where we need Garrett Stubbs to be Garrett Stubbs. It's going to be a tight competition between Marshawn and Stubbs for that back of catcher spot. Uh, but Mark Apala and David Jones are really well, really well done out of the bullpen. And I think we're getting close to calling up Appel. I want Dylan Maples caught up first. But if the Phillies bullpen really struggles, then we can call up Appel to be our long reliever. I guess I like Appel more than Bailey Falter. Double A, they went 3-3 three three against Portland. That's the Red Sox affiliate. Uh, you got Braden Zarbinski and Ofredi Gomez holding down the, pitch, the pitching rotation and Logan O'Hoppy just doing his thing. He's got a 9.32 OPS this year. He's been really holding it down at Double A. Jersey Shore, they played 7 this week. They went 2-5 and five against Aberdeen. They really struggled against the Orioles affiliate. Uh, again, same thing. Pitching has been really carrying this week. Andrew Schultz, Griff McGarry, and Jordani Mesquita. The three to highlight from Class A Advance. They clear water with 3-3. Three and three. They split the series with Paul Beach. That's the Cardinals affiliate. And for them, it's Connor Ash and Tommy McCall leading the way pitching. And Marcus Lee saying, I mean, he's been playing well the whole year. He's up to like a 725 OPS. That's good for second on the team. So that is the minor league update. And I want to end this episode. We're going to do another MLB Draft Prospects segment. Uh, just for this one, we're going to do the College World Series. I thought about making it logical first-rounders, but the thing is, is that once you get to once you get to where the Phillies are, which is 17, literally any mock draft, just don't trust any mock draft on the college kids at that point. Any of those guys could go either first or second round. Uh, which, again, my plan was to do, like, logical first-rounders, and then guys that they would draft a high score for, and then pick in the second round. But, again, just, just to know, the Phillies have the 17th overall pick. Uh, the value on that pick is 3.792 mil, and the Phillies have a bonus pool of about 6.3, which is the fourth lowest in the league. So you're really not going to see them go after those, uh, developed college guys, so again, keep your hopes low for the Phillies in this one. I think I've seen, like, Cole Young, uh, that shortstop, I think is probably the best pick for them in this spot, but 
we'll see. I got to, I got some three players here who are in the College World Series. Now, no, I mean, I, I put Brock Jones as the first one. Now, I know Stanford's been eliminated at this point, but just, just roll with it. So, yeah, Brock Jones is a really well-developed outfielder. Uh, I think... I was trying to avoid doing a college pitcher because you have Mick Abel and Andrew Painter going double A at least next year, and I really wanted to avoid that. I guess same thing here with Jones and Rojas, but Rojas is, has a sub-600 OPS, so I think Brock Jones could provide a bit of competition there. Very much like Rojas, he's got speed, he's got contact, he's got hints of power, 18 home runs this past year. His discipline has been a bit iffy. He's been swinging at a ton of things. I mean, I've you've seen that. I've seen that throughout the scouting reports as my, as I've been doing this. I've seen Jock Peterson as a player comparison, which is really interesting. I mean, they're both lefties. They have they both have pure lefty contact swings, but Brock Jones has more speed, and he's built to play a center field as a center fielder. Again, really Johan Rojas, but with more power, and I guess. A bit better swing. It's really hard to tell. Next, you got Peyton Graham. He's he's an infielder from Oklahoma. Really a third baseman and a shortstop. Again, very much like Brock Jones. He's got power. He's got speed. He's got a bit of an arm from third base. And that's really helped him play third base in short. Uh, but the but the con for him is consistent contact. He seems like a Philly already. It's like Kyle Schwarber, but like. Infielder form, but yeah, he's been he's been very aggressive at the plate, which is good. It's good to be aggressive. It's just not really the greatest when you're swinging and missing seventy five times over the year. Again, a player comparison I saw for him, which is Brian Anderson. I mean, that's he he's a third baseman for the Marlins. If you don't really know, but Brian Anderson, I mean, I feel like Peyton Graham is more of an arm than third. At third base, uh, I mean the powers basically. The powers, what the idea of Brian Anderson was, but yeah, I think Peyton Graham could be a solid piece again. Third base and shortstop, that's where you need to look if you're gonna pick a college kid. I think this is where maybe you go back to back infielders. Maybe you go Cole Young in the first round as your shortstop, and then Peyton Graham to be third base, maybe. I mean, they did pick uh, K- uh, Casey Martin still in the system, I guess, shortstop out of Arkansas, which is actually the next team that we're going to mention. But I feel like Peyton Graham could be more of that third base guy. Maybe Bone, but not really. Finally, we have a pitcher. He's from Arkansas. It's Peyton Paulette. I've seen this guy a ton on the draft boards. It's, it's really a shame that, like, all of the good pitchers this year have been injured. It's, like, really sad to see all these guys, like, Pellet coming from Tommy John. But it seems like he, they've really rebounded. Or, Pellet's really rebounded, at least. He's got he's got a fastball-curve combo. Those are his two top pitches. He sits at, like, 93 and 95. But his fastball did reach 99 with movement. Curve. Drops off the table. 78 to 83. He's got an upper 80s change that that goes with it, but it's really that curveball that's the star of the show. Walker Bueller is the comparison for Peyton Paulette. 
And again, I think Paulette makes a bit of sense. He basically would be behind Abel and Painter by a step. I think that if the Phillies got him, he might play a few games at Clearwater, then try to jump up to Jersey Shore at the end of the year. But it's uh, it's really hard to tell. But so yeah, so those are the three guys in the College World Series to look out for. Uh, I'll do a high schoolers for next episode, which may or may not be next week. I or yes, next what is next week, and then we'll go from there. So high schooler prospects will be next week. That I don't think I'm gonna have an episode over the week of the fourth, just because I'm with family. And then, uh, I think, yeah, I'll have one the week after, and that'll be more of, like, an official, like, mock draft, like, who are the Phillies going to take? So we've reached the end of the episode. Wow, I really thought that this would be, like, a half-an-hour episode when I wrote it down, but I guess I talked way too fast. It's time to award out this sad man yet again. It's time for Philly of the Week. Uh, it's just a... With the way that he's been playing recently, it's been nice to see him, see this particular player reach his superstar form, reach his role with the Phillies. This happens once a year where this player just goes on a tear, and apparently June is that time. Philly of the week for this week is Reese Hoskins. Uh, he's at seven. He's at a 750 OPS over the last two weeks with five home runs during the stretch. And he also had six RBIs over uh, on Tuesday against Miami, and he had the walk off on Monday. On Monday, of course. So Reese Hoskins gets the Philly of the week, and that is going to do it for this episode of It's Always Sunny in South Philadelphia. Make sure to follow and subscribe to wherever you listen. Uh, links will be in the dis- description for everything for where to listen, merch, and whatever else that comes up. Again. Live stream later on the 22nd. That'll be at 4.05. Can't wait to see you all there. And remember, no matter if the team struggles under Rob Thompson, which they have, thank God, and no matter if they keep losing miraculously after five-game winning streaks, just keep your heads high because it's always sunny in South Philadelphia. I'll see you guys next week.